0: Well, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, I guess, if you're watching this at some other time. Uh, I hope you are all okay and surviving through this very peculiar season. Um, We're going to be looking today from uh, the book of Acts. Uh, We've been in Daniel for the last few months, but we're going to step out of that. And what we're going to do is we're going to work through together... Uh, what's called uh, the Apostles' Creed. Now the Apostles' Creed is a, uh, an ancient um, statement of belief that was um, was kind of finalised, the version we have now in about the seventh century, uh, but it goes back even to perhaps even the first or second century, so nearly two thousand years. And what it does is it contains in just eight short sentences it contains the very heart, the very centre of, of what we believe as followers of Jesus, of what it means to be a Christian. Um, and we're, gonna, um, we're not going to preach through the creed, we're going to use the creed as a way of us preaching through the Bible. The creed doesn't have any uh, authority in itself, any authority as it has, it gains only from from Scripture, so we're going to use it to, to preach through the Bible, but it'll be a helpful model for us in this season. And today we're going to just uh, look at the first two words. Uh, the first sentence of the Creed is, "I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth." And today we're going to look at just those first two words of "I believe." And there are two reasons I wanted us to go through this creed together over the, the coming weeks. Is First of all, in a season of crisis, of turmoil, of confusion, we need more than ever to know what is real, and what is true, what is lasting, what is firm. The theologian A.W. Tozer said this, what you believe about God, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing in the universe. And that doesn't belittle what is happening or what even might be happening to you, the challenges you might be going through in this season. But what it does is it recognises who's really in control, who's above all of it. And the second reason we, uh, we wanted to go through this is that you may have often felt just in the busyness of life, the hecticness of your demands, whether it's finishing your degree at university or completing a deadline for work or just the uh, wonderful chaos of family life, you've probably often felt something along the lines of, if someone could just stop the world, I want to get off. Now, the world isn't stopping, but it's definitely, for many of us, slowing down. Uh, if you've got kids, you don't need to do the school run at the moment. Um, probably the majority of us are working from home um, and are doing a lot of our life from home, and we suddenly find ourselves with more time. And you've probably read, even in the last week, people talking about you know how uh, when... Shakespeare was in the lockdown because of the plague. He wrote King Lear, I think it was, and when Isaac Newton was uh, hiding away because of the bubonic plague that he developed, I think it was the theory of gravity or calculus or probably both, knowing him. Um, You might be thinking, well, I was just planning on binging through Netflix, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but we have an opportunity in this season Um, individually and even together as a church community, even though we uh, are separated physically from one another in this season, but together we can go deeper into God. And I'd encourage you to use this season to go deeper into him. When Jesus teaches us how to pray in Matthew 6, he starts by saying, go into your room and close the door and then we can pray to our Father in Heaven. And for many of us, the first clause of that verse has already happened. We've already had to go inside and close the door. But now we have an opportunity to come to God in prayer, in studying Him, in spending time with Him. And we can go deep into God together. And often when, when houses are built or buildings are built in Amsterdam, the first thing that happens is that these big pylons are sunk right into the ground you know 20 or 30 meters below the surface and they go down as far as they can to try and hit the rock and that's what we need to do in seasons of difficulty and challenge is go deep until we hit something firm and stable which is god himself in the chapter we would have come to in a few weeks in daniel If we'd been following that still, uh, Daniel 11, it says, the people who know their God shall stand firm. Or other translations say, the people who know their God shall be strong. And that's what we want to do in this season, is we want to know God more than anything else. The preacher C.H. Spurgeon said this, he said, I know nothing which can so comfort the soul so calm the swelling billows and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. When you come to God in prayer, in worship, in adoration, when you fix your eyes on him and get to know him, suddenly all the trials of life, Find their, They don't just disappear away, but they find their rightful place as we put God in his rightful place in our lives. And what we're going to do today is we're going to read through Acts 16, chapter 16 of the book of Acts, from verse 25 to verse 34. So if you're watching this at home or with some friends, um, why don't you get your Bible out? Um, and press pause on the video and you can read that together. Okay, welcome back. Let me pray for us quickly. Jesus, as we look at these words together, we pray that you would speak to us that you would guide us we want to declare right from the the root of our being right from the center of our hearts that we believe in you god the father almighty and we want to put our trust in you and put our all our worship and devotion toward you and we pray today that as we fix our eyes on you that you would calm all the anxieties in our souls the storm that we might feel like we're sailing through right now we would suddenly find a peace and even a refreshment in you we pray in Jesus name amen so you might have seen in that passage there are two different responses to crisis first of all you get the jailer, who this earthquake has happened, and the doors of all the cells have swung open, the stocks have been loosened. Um, You have to imagine that was probably the work of the spirit, not just the power of the earthquake. And the jailer, had he'd failed to follow his orders. He'd been commissioned. It says in in, uh, verse 23, I think it is, that he'd been He'd been ordered to to keep them secure, to keep Paul and Silas locked up, and he's failed to do it. He had one job, and he couldn't do it. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling. Even last night, I was lying in bed, and I remembered I'd forgotten to take the wheelie bin down the street to get collected. And I was lying there thinking, oh, I had one job, and I forgot to do it. And for a jailer, that's pretty much all a jailer has to do, lock the cells and keep the prisoners there and he's failed to do that and he's suddenly aware of the potential consequences that are coming his way and his response to this crisis the earthquake and all these prisoners suddenly being free his response is one of suicidal despair he gets his sword ready to kill himself because the despair is that deep in his heart So that's one response. And the other response we see from Paul and Silas is very different. If you read earlier on in the story, they've been arrested, that they were dragged through the streets, that they were beaten, that they were thrown in the inner prison, that these stocks were put around their legs. And both of them would have seen uh, in in, in the previous chapters in Acts and in the previous chapters of their lives... They would have seen probably even friends that had been martyred for what they believed. You can read the story of Stephen earlier in the book of Acts. They would have known people that had suffered greatly even to, even to the point of death for what they believed. And yet their response to this crisis is that they sing. That's so what it says in verse 25, that they sing hymns, that they pray to God... And they do it so loudly that everyone can hear. They're not just kind of in the corner of their cell, quietly muttering away under their breath. They're singing at the top of their voices. They're declaring to anybody and everybody who wants to hear their praise and worship of God. It says in the book of Job that it's God who gives us songs in the night, that even in the darkest seasons, that God will well up songs of praise and worship within you. That's a great weapon to fight even despair, worry, fear. It's just to come to God and worship, just to sing at the top of your voice, to praise him right from your heart. The early church father Tertullian said this, the legs feel no pain in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. And that's what's happening with these two men. Their hearts are just caught up in heavenly worship to God. And the dire circumstances that they find themselves in suddenly pile into insignificance. And even when they're freed, when this earthquake's hit and the doors have been flung open, they don't run to escape, which surely you imagine we don't know what they were praying for, but that's what I would have been praying for if I was in the, this prison. I would have been praying that the doors would be opened and I could escape. And yet, even when the doors are flung open, they, they stay. They seem to remain calm, even. And Paul's concern is for the, the jailer and for his, his soul. They don't run away in panic. Now, why is it that they respond so differently? Why do they respond this way in this crisis? And it's easy to skim over that question because we could just say, well, it's just the apostle Paul. You know, he's a hero of the faith. That's just what he does. But I think it's worth us just going a little deeper into this story and find out why it is that they respond in that way. And to put it very simply, it's, it's that they believe in God. There's not much more to say in one sense than that. They just believe in God. And that's where they lead the jailer to in this story. They believe him to belief in God. And for them, what this belief means is that firstly, they've lost any illusion of control. Not when this earthquake has hit, not when they've been landed in jail, but long before that, in their belief in God, what it means is that they've lost this illusion of control. Because without God, the world is a strange, maddening, painful, difficult, confusing place, even at the best of times. But normally we're tricked into thinking that somehow we're in control, that somehow we're in control of the destiny of our lives. That somehow the decisions we make, the things we do, we manage to plot a course through life. We manage to work our way through that we're in control. And when that control is stripped away, which is what many people are feeling right now, when the dreams that they had, the plans that they had, suddenly are, are either lost completely or at least put on hold, people panic. But really, we have to understand that we were never in control. That we people are panicking because they've lost a, a control that they never really had. In most parts, that control is just an illusion. Paul and Silas, they know who's really in charge. And more importantly, they know that he's good. It's not just that they know that there's this despot, this evil God on the throne. No, they know that there's a loving father on the throne who is in control of all things and wants to do good. So they praise him. And secondly, they knew or, they, or we can know the fragility of life. It says in the book of James, You do not know what tomorrow will bring, which that feels very apt in the time of Corona. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week. We don't know what new measures the government will have to put in place. We don't know how long things are going to last. We don't know what's going to happen with our jobs, with our finances, with all sorts of questions that we might have. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And the verse goes on to say, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. In the grand scheme of all of human history, our life is just a tiny mist, a fragment of time. And any security you might feel, any foundation you might feel you have, In seasons like like this, when that's shaken, we're suddenly brought to the awareness that the only security we have, the only real foundation we can have is found in God. And our lives are so very fragile. Our best laid plans can be laid to waste in a moment. But we have a God who protects us. Even if our life is just a mist, a tiny vapour, That he's in control of that. That he will protect us. That he has our best interests at heart. And Paul and Silas know that even if the worst is to happen for them, the best is yet to come in Christ. That's what they hold on to. And I think thirdly, they knew what the true nature of belief is. For us to make that statement, I believe is a very important thing for us to say. It's a declaration we confess with our mouth, but it's believed from our hearts. That's what it says in Romans 10, verses nine and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, true belief is not just of the head, not just in our mind, but it comes from the whole of our being. When the Bible talks about something coming from our heart, it doesn't just mean our emotions. It means the like the, the inner motivation that drives us forward, the kind of the engine of our life, the very core of our being. Because you see, that's how the jailer responds in this story. He sees the despair of the situation and he sees how Paul and Silas worship and how they deal with the situation and he comes and he falls down and he's able to say that he believes in God, that he chooses to follow him. He doesn't come and understand a logical argument. They don't come and Debate with him the meaning of life. They don't come and and, and try and argue even with the Bible to him. They just give him a very simple step to follow. He says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's a belief that comes from our hearts, from the very core of our beings. See, because this belief is... It's about knowing God, not knowing about God. And knowing about God, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a very important thing. Particularly in seasons like this, we need to feed ourselves with doctrine. Because suddenly when, when you build your life on doctrine, that leads to wisdom. When you build your life on doctrine, it means when... Trial and difficulty come. You're able to navigate your way through it because you know who's in charge and you know what he's like. But really, to believe in God is not about knowing lots of things about God, but it's, it's a relational thing. That's what this creed goes on to say, that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, that we come first of all to a Father, who loves us. Not only do we get to know him, but he wants to know us. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. He knows every detail of our lives. What's happened, what's happening, what will happen is all under his loving care. And to believe in God is, it's a wonderful gospel belief. Because the very heart of this creed that I'm gonna read to you in a moment, the whole thing is tied, it's rooted right into the gospel. Because we're not measured by how much we know or how much we've done, but by him and him alone. As the jailer does, we simply put our trust in Jesus. We simply believe from our hearts that he's our Lord and saviour. We confess it with our mouth. We believe it with our heart. Let me read that creed together and then I'll, I'll pray. This is the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God, the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Lord Jesus, we we want to declare right from our hearts that we believe in you and we want to take this creed and we want this to be the narrative that shapes our lives we want your word the gospel truths that are in this creed that come out of your word we want that to shape what we believe not only about you but what we believe about the world around us we well, thank you, Jesus, it says in John, that you have overcome the world, and you've now called us to be in Christ. You've drawn us into the vine, and we're now knitted, woven into you. And that means when we see trial and difficulty and confusion and chaos and uncertainty around us, we can declare from our hearts that we believe in God. And that's the most important thing in the universe and over these coming weeks and months we want to put our trust in you want to fix our gaze on you and we want to know you as a child knows his dad as a husband knows his wife we want to know you richly and deeply and powerfully and we thank you that's all possible because of what you've done for us jesus and because of the work of the holy spirit in our lives Thank you for your wonderful grace, amen.